What happens when a liberal shrink from Brooklyn dates a prehistoric American Greek man? Throw in the fact that he is married and remains so for 20 plus years and you have to wonder what indeed does happen when a liberal shrink and a prehistoric American Greek man get together. Hello everyone, I'm Pamela Brewer welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk as we are in our 25th year. Today's guest is Mary Salzberg who is the author of an illicit love, a psychotherapist decades-long affair with a married man. Mary is also retired from two careers, one as a registered nurse and as a licensed clinical social worker in private practice. Mary, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Mary, I got to tell you right off the bat, the subtitle of your book, I, I know is going to raise eyebrows a psychotherapist decades-long affair with a married man. So most people, you know, if, they go to a, if they're going to a psychotherapist and they're having an affair, particularly an affair with a married man, they're going to try to walk, work around the issue of ending the relationship, taking better care of themselves, all of that stuff. So what happened? So, in other words, should I have known better? I like the way you put that. Should you have known better? <laughs> yes, I should have known better. But I think that the the thing to to really focus on is that we're all human. And at 38, separated for four years, with two children, two jobs, educational aspirations, career aspirations, and a good deal of loneliness. I was ripe for the kind of seductive, uh, bewitching behavior um, that happened between Tomas and myself. And, you know, as I was reading uh, your book, and you described sort of the, the first meeting with him, you know, I thought, oh, my, that's pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> share just a little tiny bit of that, if you will, with our audience. I was um, doing my usual, I believe it was a Saturday or Sunday, cooking for the entire week for my children and myself because of my work hours. And the doorbell rang, and I was a little put out because my hair was greasy and I was in an old T-shirt and jeans. And I opened the door, and it was a friend of mine with this hunk walking behind him. A and hunk. the minute I set eyes on Tomas, I knew he could be trouble. It wasn't that consciously that that didn't occur to me. At that point, I certainly didn't know that he was married. In fact, I didn't know till the end of that afternoon after we, the three of us had spent a few hours together. Let's talk, I, I want to step backwards. So now we have a sense that you were completely unaware of living your life, doing what you do, and this amazing hunk shows up <laughs> at your doorstep. You, you know, sort of every woman's worst nightmare, right? I mean, you're in jeans, you're in a T-shirt, your hair is a mess. The last thing you want to mm -hmm. look like when you meet a hunk is jeans, T-shirt, and a mess. 
but there you were. Uh, I, I want to step back a bit be, and, and talk a little bit about your uh, childhood for just a second. Um, as a youngster, there was an accident that impacted your sight, your eyesight. What was that? Yes. Uh, I was four and a half years old, and someone had left a drinking glass on the ledge of a window in our very small six-family apartment house in Coney Island, Brooklyn, New York. And my sister and I were playing in the um, space between the two buildings. My mother called us in for lunch, and we came running in, and I opened the very heavy front door, and my sister slipped through, and the door slammed. And that vibration made the drinking glass fall and hit the steps, which was all marble at that time. And um, unfortunately, I did not lose the sight in my right eye, but I did lose the sight in my left eye. And when my parents were told that it, that I that the glass that embedded in my socket was so close to the ocular nerve that I could have been blinded. Well, my mother was not very much encouraged by that, but uh, that's basically what happened. And then the next couple of years, uh, they tried very hard to save the site, were not able to, and my mother and father decided that um, they would have the surgeons enucleate the eye. So I started wearing a prosthesis in my fourth year, and um, it, it proved difficult because it would fall out, and in those years, glass the, the prosthesis were made of glass rather than acrylic, so they would fall out and shatter, and my mother would be called up to school, and the kids would make fun of me. But they couldn't do it for long because my twin sister managed to shut them up. So um, it was difficult. The, the next difficult part was my sister had been accepted into nursing school, and I was not, and it was just a few days before the semester was to start. Mm. And um, my mother went up to school and spoke to the director of nursing, and we bought a letter from my ophthalmologist that said that I could do anything I wanted to, which was true except that, of course, I didn't have peripheral vision, which made things difficult. Um, but I did it, um, and I graduated uh, with an RN, took my boards, passed my boards, and then started to work in various different places, the operating room. Uh, but my love was psychiatry. Huh. And that's what I eventually went back to, not open-heart surgery, not, not that, those kinds of things. Um, so that was, that was the beginning. Do I have a titch of um, post-traumatic stress disorder? Yes, particularly when it comes to glass and children's eyesight. Um, I can remember very clearly when my daughter was young that she slipped on the on the wooden floors 
in the foyer, and the first thing that I could see was that her eye had been penetrated, which, thank God, of course, was not true. There were no nails or whatever, but that's the basis of what happened. Um, But I loved my career as a nurse. Psychologically, there are many theories about why people become nurses, and I believe my the theory that really was unconsciously um, existing in my mind was that I would take care of the patient in the bed the way I wished I had been taken care of. You know, when you talk about your experience as a child and losing sight and then your eye, the, the prosthesis actually falling out, one can almost see the kind of ridicule that you would experience at the hands of your schoolmates, particularly at that age. So when you uh, talk about having met your, who is now your partner, uh, and, and you say that he saw you as beautiful, not damaged, that is such a powerful reminder an explainer of part of how he could have been so attractive to you. He saw you differently from really what you had grown up with in a lot of ways. And my own self um Yes. My own self esteem was certainly injured by that. But um can I tell a little anecdote? Well, I'm going to ask time... you, I'm going to ask you to hold cuz we're going to take a break, but when we come back, sure. we'll start with the anecdote. Okay. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. I'm having a conversation with Mary Salzberg, who is the author of An Illicit Love: A Psychotherapist's Decades-Long Affair with a Married Man. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Mary, you were going to share an anecdote with us. Well, the first time that Tomas and I fell into bed, I was very concerned um, that the prosthesis would fall out. And I remember putting my hand up to my eye to make sure that everything was okay. And he said to me, he took my hand away and he kissed my eye and he said to me, I would never think that you're less beautiful because of this situation. So I get the chills when I think about it 40-something years later, but um, who knows what constitutes that kind of sexual attraction. And the lust, the sexual attraction, can very easily turn into love, consideration, attachment, um, he was able to give me the emotional support that I was not getting, even though I had a wonderful 
circle of friends and certainly the support of my sister. He adored me. It's impossible to resist that. And most importantly, he took my dreams, educational career goals, very, very seriously. I knew at that time that I wanted to go back to school, which I was doing. I wanted to get my degrees in psychology um, rather than stay in nursing. And on top of all that, we had a similar sense of humor. We were very irreverent. We could laugh at about just about anything, even when things got serious. Of course, there was a tremendous downside. Yes, absolutely. Despair, depression, his unavailability. Now, for Tomas, I would ask him over the years, and I would write the answers down in my books. I At the time, I think he was burdened by caring for his family. He worked very hard. Um, He was, in some ways, a very... I'm going to interrupt you because I don't want to veer off into him. I really want to stay with you. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. The... You know, it's almost like having two or three brains operate at the same time on different levels. Psychologically, you understood that this was somebody who was unavailable. He was married. He had a family. He had a life. But you also understood that you had a life. You had a lot of things that you were doing. And so to some extent, his lack of availability, while hurtful and disappointing, sounds like it may have worked for you in that moment with your life. What are your thoughts about that? I agree with you. Um, I don't think that at that time in my life, if I had not gone down this path, not that we ever know whether the path we choose is going to be full of flowers or thorns, but really, um, I did have a life. And I couldn't have been with someone who expected me to have dinner on the table at 6 o'clock, who didn't accept my working hours, who couldn't um, manage my other needs besides wanting to be in some kind of a relationship. But, you know, I have to talk about denial, even though one knows that. There is the unconscious belief that this is going to work out, that this is going to be the affair that ends in a man divorcing. Which, which is and what I so many people, it's, it's what so many people who get into these situations, you're right. I mean, that's sort of the other part of the fantasy that he's really yes. going to leave and you're going to live happily ever after. Yes, and um, I'd like to make the point, which was one of the reasons that I wanted to write this cautionary tale, is that for a young woman to believe in that fantasy, to believe that men are going to leave their wives, because it's very important to notice, to note that men do not leave their wives. Ten percent of men perhaps in affairs, might leave their wife. And 
percentage of them will divorce within divorce the new partner within five years. So for young women, I say watch yourself. Absolutely. You know, because if what you want is children, then this is not the situation you should be in. Let me ask you a question. You you had children. They knew about him. They knew about your relationship. Were they confused? What What was their reaction? Basically, when my daughter... Uh, unfortunately, found out that he was married, and she was young, maybe eight, nine. Her concern at the time was, but mom, what about his children? Because her father, when we separated, and I was waiting for the divorce to finalize, basically abandoned his children. So I reassured her that this was not something that I had ever wanted to do, that I ever could perceive that I would be in this situation, but there was no way that he was the kind of man, whatever happened, that he would abandon his daughters. Um, My son was basically almost out of the house at that time, Mm -hmm. and um, he was more... I think he, it was easier for him to adjust. And his uh, response to me often was, Mom, I know he's married, but I see he makes you happy. Interesting. But, yeah, right now I'm, I'm basically working on a paper about the effects on children when, parent, when one or another of the parent is having an affair their fears, their conflicts. I did try very, very hard to not overstep and enmesh them in what was going on with me. And I think I succeeded at that. You know, it is often said that for children who experience infidelity in their lives, that they will often either be in relationships where they are unfaithful to the spouse or the spouse is unfaithful to them. What are your thoughts about that? I think that could be true. But in the last couple of decades, considering the growth of extramarital affairs, particularly amongst women, because, um, oh, women's um, rate of affairs have increased tremendously, where the statistics say that men's rate of affairs have stayed the same. But I want to know what's happening to the women. Who are they having the affair with if this is so with men? That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) That has occurred to me. Um, Yes, there are... As I've been reading lately, there are um, affairs that damage the children tremendously. Mm-hmm. I think because of my background and because of my incredible love for my children, I got them psychotherapeutic help throughout the difficult years that I was experiencing, whether it was the loneliness, the occasional depression, 
that I experienced. And, you know, I'm just one of these lucky souls who had two children who have managed to um, create an incredibly wonderful life for themselves with wonderful marriages. And how much of that was due to me? Who knows? Who knows genetically, you know, whether they just have what we call, um, the word escapes me right now, but there are people who cannot overcome these kinds of childhood traumas. Yes. And there are people that can. And, um, you know, my son has been, as Tomas has been, very supportive of my attempts to learn how to write and to write something this personal without it being sociological. It's just a very intimate portrayal of what happened to me. You know, it is indeed an intimate um, portrayal of what your experience and what your life was like with Tomas. One of the things that, as I was reading, sort of made me bristle, um, and there was a lot, <laughs> was the times that you would talk to him about getting married, and he would say things like, his wife didn't deserve the treatment that she was getting. Okay, fair enough statement. But to say that to you, uh, mm -hmm. or to say to you, it's wonderful having two women in love with me. I, I get that from his perspective, but I, I just wonder how hurtful that would have been to you, given that you were so much in love with him and so much wanting him to be with you. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'd, I would like for you to respond to that very briefly. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you about the response of your children to a book written by their mom entitled An Illicit Love. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay. So, Mary, when Tomas would say things that, as I read them, thought, how hurtful to hear someone say that to you. But that's my reaction. What was your reaction? Yes, there were times when I was very, very hurt. But I think that it's so easy to just look at those times and not realize the um, the entire picture. Mm. Sometimes words are said that are very hurtful, but what about the um, the behavior? His behavior towards me was loving, supportive. Um, there was no way that I didn't know that he was very much in love with me. Now. 
I think what people don't understand is that you can love two people at one time. Hmm. Uh, neurologically, um, you know, I know that there can be a profound attachment for a long-term spouse. But you can have a romantic passion for another. And when I say that, um, people very often look at me with a blank stare, and they think about it. Um, let, let me they ask, were hurtful. Yes, go ahead. Forgive me for interrupting you, but, but our time is escaping us, and I, I, sure. I did want to ask the response of your children to their mom writing a book about illicit love and the response, if any, from your former clients about this. I have not heard anything from former clients, but I can tell you that my son has never been negative about my writing. He seems to be um, supportive of me. However, my daughter does not feel the same way. Mm. Her concern is her children, that somehow they will change at some point as they grow their feelings, their love, their attachment to me. She did say a couple of years ago, Mom, you have so many accomplishments. Why didn't you write about that? And I quoted to her Maya Angelou, who said, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Mm. I hope that she will change her attitude. She has become more positive. She's been okay with me, with my PR stuff, radio shows or TV spots. Um, that's all that I can tell you. She, she is also concerned that my step-grandchildren will um, be repulsed by this. And I don't think that that's going to be so. And when you say step-grandchildren, you ultimately, after over 20 years, married yes. Tomas. Yes. Yes. His wife died, and two years later we did marry. Actually, one year later we did have um, a marriage by the mayor of my town, and then a year later we had a wedding celebration. We are unfortunately running away with time at this point. I, there's so much more to the story than you and I have had an opportunity to discuss today. How do listeners get more information about an illicit love? On uh, Amazon, illicitlove.com, and also www.marysalzberg.com. And that's M-A-R-Y-S-A-L-S-B-E-R-G.com. That's, that's correct. Mary, again, thank you so much for sharing your very intimate, joyful, painful story with us. And I think it is it offers many lessons to be learned and considered. Thank you for joining us today. 
Thank you, Dr. Pearl. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is available to you on demand by going to mynd.talk.org. Mind Talk is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a professional. By all means, if a professional is something, someone you feel you need to access, please do so. I do want to again thank all of you for joining us today. If you would like to be in touch with me, that's Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And you remember always, if it's unacceptable, then it's unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.